Hello? Oh, hey, uh, Vinny. Hey, Steve. Hey, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Vinny Bucci, the Booch. <laughs> That's right. Yes, sir. You know, I had to, I, 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 I totally forgot about our, our interview tonight, and I had to do, like, a, a quick cram course on you. <laughs> oh, it's all good. It was, it was so much. I mean, you have so much stuff out there. You're, like, you're up to so many things, man. Yeah, that was that was one of the reasons why when you were looking for guests, I reached out because um, I figured, hey, I, I I give you some I give you some cool stuff to work with. You you did, man. I I wish I had taken more time, really, but I I already I think I have enough, and, and I'm you'll you'll be talking a lot too. Sure. Yeah. And any questions you want to ask that you don't know, feel free. Sure. Well, I I I'm trying to figure out if you're from Georgia or from Florida. Um, well, I currently live in Georgia. Okay. Uh, but I used to live. I used to live in Jersey for most of my life. Oh, nice. Nice. I was up, for I was Jersey. For Jersey. My life. Yeah. So when did you move down south? Uh, in '96, we came down here during the Olympics. Um, okay. And then we lived here for about three years. Then we were back up in Jersey for about four years. Then we came back here in 2003, and I've lived here ever since. Oh, okay. Uh, so you're. Uh, are you sure you weren't Richard Jewell? Uh. <laughs> Positive. <laughs> I was, I was not Richard Jewell. No, didn't, didn't even know who he was. I was in, I was in fourth grade when all that happened. So if oh, I had okay. that kind of intelligence, <laughs> I, I really feel he was a decent guy. They really screwed him over. Actually, oh, God, I know, I know. Yeah, uh, but uh, but you um, I don't know. Do you still work in retail, Vinny? Uh, no, I left last year. Cool. Uh, what, what kind? Like where? Where did you work when you worked in retail? Um, uh, for 10 years, I worked at Home Depot. Okay. And for three years, I worked at Lowe's. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I hope – I'm nothing personal, but when I go there, like, you got to beg somebody to get some help. Yeah, I know. That's uh, that, was, that, that was kind of the issue because uh, when I worked there, I was a cashier. So when people needed help, they would keep asking me, and I'm like, I'm not trained in any of this, so I don't have an answer. And – because they think when you're in the if you're in the store, you know everything. It's like no, you're you're only trained in the one department that you work in. So, if it I, I I'm the guy you're supposed to come to when you're ready to leave. Like you, all your questions have been answered. Everything's ready to go. You have all your stuff. All right, let me check you up and get you out of here. <laughs> I I kind of can. I used to work in produce in a supermarket, and they always always coming up to me, and ask me what's where what what aisle is this in, what aisle is that in. I know, right? So I, I, uh, and then I I got the stupid habit. I would start like um, counting how many people would ask me questions. I would take out my pen and like mark down how many questions they were asking (laughs) just to keep track. (laughs) But uh, okay, so you're you're in Florida right now, and um, I believe you um you're also you're in the radio business. Um, I I was yes. Uh, I used to work uh for the I used to work for I worked for the regular guys here in Atlanta. Um, there, they were at the time, they were like the top, uh, morning radio show in Atlanta. And, uh, I met them back in 2010. I worked there from September, 2010 to December, 2014. And I, I met them through a friend of mine who was a comedian who was interning for the show. And one of the regular guys, he's actually still working at rock 100. Now his name is a Southside Steve. Uh, he had a bar in McDonough, Georgia, and Steve, my, my friend Steve Haig would host 
um, the comedy show there, and he was trying to get me booked to perform at the bar. But when I was doing the uh, the Boochcast, um, which is the podcast show that I do, um, he showed it to Larry Wax, who was like the head of the regular guys, and he was intrigued by uh, my interviewing style, and he just said, um, I, and he they called me up and said, Larry wants to be a guest on your show. And I thought he was pranking me. I'm like, yeah, right. Larry wants to be a guest on my show. He's no, dude, I'm serious. He wants to interview you. Can you come to the radio station? I'm like, fuck yeah, I'll go to the radio station. <laughs> you kidding me? So I get in the wow. car. I head to the station. I'm I'm sitting in their green room. I'm waiting for Larry to finish the show so I can interview him. Larry finds out I'm in the building, and he says, bring him on the show. And I'm like, oh, wow. And I had never done radio a day in my life at the time. So I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. So I'm walking into this building. I'm walking into the room. Larry's there. He's sitting on this. He has like everybody sitting in their chairs. Larry has his chairs like elevated. He has like an elevated platform. So he's sitting higher than everybody else, which is hilarious. And he's got the dark sunglasses on and uh, he's being nice and polite and everything. We go into the show. I crack a couple jokes, answer a couple questions, tell a little bit about my story. And, and then halfway through, Larry goes live on the air. He's like, I like this kid. You want a job? And right there, he hired me live on the air. Oh, wow. And how long did you stay? You stayed for four years. Wow. Four-year run, yeah. Uh, I had my own se- – I did my own uh, segments for the show. I did background stuff. I would uh, go on I – did, I did a few uh, promotional gigs for them. I remember when WrestleMania came to town, uh, I went to Access with them, and that was where uh, they had some of the wrestlers shave my head, which was uh, – a stunt that we pulled. Uh, they, that was in 2016. You talked about it on stage. Yes. Uh, two th- yeah, yeah. That happened in 2011 was when I got my head shaved. Uh, it, was, oh, okay. it was the year that WrestleMania came to Atlanta. It was WrestleMania 27, I believe it was. And they do this thing where at Access, they have all the all the local, all the radio stations and all the media people would come to the Georgia World Congress Center and they would interview all the wrestlers. That's where they do all their media appearances. So they brought me over because they didn't know anything about wrestling. Well, they, they knew the legends, but they didn't know any of the current wrestlers at that time. And they knew that I was like a, you know, wrestling like guru. So they said, we got to bring Vinny. And also I had been losing my hair at the time. So for weeks, Larry was trying to get me to shave my head. And I was like, no fucking way that's happening. Because I was one of those guys that's like, I never wanted to be bald. I was scared of being bald. I could have one patch of hair on my head. I would still comb it every morning. Like, I'm never shaving my head ever. So Larry said, if you won't let us shave it, will you let the wrestlers shave it? I thought about it, and I went. In my head, I'm like, crap, he's got me. And I'm like, all right, let's do this. So they one by one, we interviewed a bunch of wrestlers. We had, uh, I believe it was Drew McIntyre. Uh, Jimmy Hart, Shawn Michaels, Christian, Santino Morella, and I believe the other one was Wade Barrett. And one by one, they shaved off sections of my head and autographed my head. Oh, wow. So That's I, an honor. And I, yeah, so I had to walk around uh, with my head slightly shaved with signatures in my head because I went to the whole WrestleMania weekend. I was at Access, the Hall of Fame, WrestleMania, Raw the next night. And then once the whole thing was over, I shaved my head completely got rid of the signatures and everything. And then uh, since then, I, like I said, I've been bald since then. It turned out it was a better look for me. So I'm, I'm well, I mean, do you, yeah, thing. you look pretty good. Uh, you do, uh, you shave it with a plastic razor or you use a, a buzzer? Uh, both. 
Uh, it, it depends. Uh, if I let it grow too long, I bring out the buzzer. Yeah. Um, if it's just a, if it's just a little rugged, I get the razor and shave it. I'm as tall because I'm a man who shaves his head bald too, and I, I butchered my head where it's cut and bleeding, and I have to wear a hat to hide it for the next five days. I've done that before. Uh, I was shaving <laughs> the top of my head. I nicked. I, I, I nicked it pretty bad, and I had to get. Actually, I'd have a. I took like. I had like gauze and band-aids on my head and I had to wear a hat to hide the band-aid that was like sitting on top of my head for like two days. Yeah. You gotta be careful. You could hit an artery, man. Oh yeah. That's, it's no joke. That's shaving your head is, is not for people who don't know how to use a razor. No, the bet you got to do nice and slow and start off in the back, do it in sections. Yeah, totally. Uh, otherwise you, you always just slice your head. Oh, but I, I saw them like one by one. I mean, I saw, you know, I saw Kurt angle when he shaved his head and then The Rock eventually shaved his head. Yeah. And then um, just recently, there was a guy on, on NXT named Duke Hudson. They, had, they shaved his head. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's the end thing, man. You know, when, when you're, I, I'd rather have a bald head than have a head of white hair. Exactly. That's kind of the way you, you look at it. Eventually, like somehow, somehow no hair is better than gray hair. I think so. I look. It looks younger. There's, there's one video when you had hair in 2010, and you talk about being arrested by the Marta police. Yes. Yeah. Now, is that a true story? Hundred percent true. That so tell a- us about that. Okay, uh, it was a hundred percent true story. What happened was, uh, for those who, who listeners who may not know, the Marta is kind of like our version of the subway. It's our public transportation system. Um, so what we do is, uh, what ha- what happened was, uh, I was at Georgia State. At the time, I was in college, and I would take the MARTA into the city, and then I would take it back to where my car is parked, and I would drive home rather than driving the city because there's no place there's there's no place to park your car near Georgia State, and uh, I lived in Georgia, so there's no point in me getting a dorm room. So one day I was leaving, I was coming home late from class, uh, and I'm walking. Uh, it's, it's nighttime. I'm walking through. I'm walking through the MARTA. It was the five. It was the five point station, which is like the the center of the Marta where all the other trains like kind of meet up in this one middle place. And I'm walking in and I'm looking at my phone. I'm just checking messages and I wasn't paying attention to my surroundings and how the Marta works is there's a, there's these doors that are closed. You take a Marta card, you tap it and the doors are supposed to open. Well, apparently this one was broken because the doors were already open and I was not paying attention. Like the way I wasn't paying attention, if those doors had been closed, I would have slammed right into them. That's how oblivious I was to my surroundings. If those doors had been closed, I would have just smacked right into it. Everybody would have pointed and laughed at me and I would have tapped my card. Well, because they were open, I'm not paying attention. I walked right through the doors. As I'm walking through the doors, a cop stops me. And he runs up to me and I, uh, he said, freeze. I stopped. He came up to me. And he was yelling at me like, how come you didn't tap? I'm like, fuck you talking about? He goes, you didn't tap your card. And at that moment, I realized, oh, shit, I didn't tap my card. So I'm apologizing. I said, hey, man, I'm sorry about that. Um, it was my bad. I-, I didn't mean to. I got my card right here. Here. And I'm literally like, it's like me, cop, the machine. I was literally two like inches away from the machine when he stopped me. So I'm like, my card's right here. Let me just tap it, and I'll go on my way. And he's like. Nah, nah, you know what you were doing. And right there in the middle of the place, he handcuffed me and took me into a holding cell. And I found out later I could have sued for this because there were two things this guy did wrong. Number one, I wasn't read any rights. Number two, 
when he put me in the holding cell, he never took the cuffs off me, which apparently is illegal. Like it, like they're allowed to arrest you, but once they have you in a cell in custody, those cuffs are supposed to come off. Those cuffs never left my wrist. And I was in this holding cell for like 20 minutes while they searched my backpack. And I guess maybe they're trying to find like weapons or drugs or whatever, but all they found were textbooks and pop tarts. <laughs> in my backpack. <laughs> and so once they realized they didn't have anything, they gave me a citation. They gave me a ticket for evading payment, which pissed me off because I'm like, how the fuck did I evade anything? The cop said stop, and I stopped. If I wanted to evade payment, wouldn't you just keep running? Of course. Makes sense to me. So I'm like, to me, it's no different than like if you're in a supermarket and someone goes under your cart and realize, hey, you didn't put that soda on the rack. They either let you put, they either let you pay for the soda or they make you give it back. They don't handcuff you right there in the supermarket. That's pretty much what happened to me. So I was pissed and I was terrified because up until this point, I had never been arrested a day in my life. Never. I have no arrest record of any kind except for that. But that got expunged because I, I took the cop to court in front of a judge and was found not guilty because I, I explained everything that happened. If anything, the cop looked like a dumbass and I had to pay anything. Judge wiped it off my record, said I was free to go. So yeah, I, I, that Marta story was a hundred percent true. And the joke I like to tell in that is that people talk about cops being, you know, like prejudiced and whatever. And I always tell people it ain't just the white cops. The black cops are prejudiced too. So watch out for all of them. Uh, he was um, African American. The cop. Yeah, the cop was African American, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, it could have been that. Maybe he was a zealous uh, to get some overtime and get some brownie points. Yeah, he could have been quota hungry too. I just, I just yeah. said that because I just made that joke because of everything that was going down. That was just a comedian to me saying that. I mean, I too was arrested one time in my life for uh, drinking with the homeless people in public, and uh, they threw me in a the cell. They kept me handcuffed in the cell for a good four to six hours. Yeah. Like, is that even legal though? Like like where you live? It was up. up, I was living in Long Island at the time. I don't know if it was, I just know they were, they were looking around for overtime. The guy next to me was a lawyer. They were just rounding people up for bullshit on labor, labor day. I guess it was time and a half for them or something. Yeah. Yeah, So it kind of makes you hate after I really hated cops for a while. (laughs) But I guess in light of what's going on and, and seeing what all the shit that they go through, I kind of, um, you know, see they're not so not they're not all that bad. No, they're not. I've had cops uh, give me like like I've had cops like one time I was driving home uh, from I, from ironically from a bar, but I hadn't been drinking. I just had soda the whole time, but I was dead tired. So I was swerving, but I was swerving because I was tired, not because I was drunk. But the cops still pulled me over. And he told me, he said, excuse me, sir, you failed to maintain your lane here. And, you know, I just need to ask you if you've been drinking. And I said, no, sir. I said, I'm just really tired. And I explained it to him. And he could tell because I wasn't slurring my words. But he could clearly tell that I was, you know, I was talking in a way where you could tell I was exhausted. And after we had a conversation, he ran my, he checked my record, everything. Like they always do, check the license. And he came back and just said, and he came back, gave my license and said, hey, uh, just uh, be, just drive safe and uh, make sure you get home okay, all right? He said, just be, he said, just be careful. I said, thank you, sir, and he left. So I was like, wow, there are good cops in Atlanta. <laughs> like, he, he, didn't, he didn't give me any field sobriety tests. He just said, 
you know, hey, just want to make sure you're okay, drive safe. So I was like, okay, cool. So it's weird. Sometimes you see a bad one, but then a good one comes along and it reminds you. Yeah, and also I think it's this new law um, because they really can't tell if people have been smoking weed or not, and it's up to the cops' discretion. If the yeah. cop, cop thinks you've been smoking weed, they can arrest you, even even if you haven't. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's the ridiculous part. Yeah. So if you if you are in Atlanta, I would say keep taking Marta, you know, and just watch where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thankfully I'm not in college anymore, so I don't really use the Marta that often, unless I'm like going to unless I'm like going to the. State Farm Arena for a wrestling show. That's pretty much the last time I've used Marta or if I'm going to the airport. Yeah, plus, you know, you're older. People screw with people when they're younger. Cops screw with younger people more than older people. Oh, that's completely true, especially the cops in, my, in the neighborhood I live in. Uh, they, they would they would always, like, pull over the teenagers, uh, like yeah. 14, 15-year-olds because – well, no, I should say 16, 15, 16, sorry, because – uh, driving age but yeah so they literally pull those kids over because they don't know the things that you there's there's things you can say no to and there's things you you can't say no to when a cop is talking to you um and they don't know which ones so they easily can search their cars like they don't know that you can tell them it's like look you you can't search my car <laughs> or unless you have a reason for that but they the kids don't know there's an, and they're so scared of the cops they just like yes sir yes sir and all that like so they, yeah, they, I, when they, I was they, when I was 16, a cop maybe emptied up my pocket just for standing in front of 7-Eleven. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, I, was, I used to talk to everybody. I, I didn't do drugs myself, but I would talk to everybody. And I was talking to this this punk rocker guy. And so because I'm talking to him, the cop made me empty my pockets. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> All right. That's, you know, or, or another time a cop purposely, you know, confiscated a six pack of beer from me because I guess he wanted to keep keep it for himself. <laughs> that, that'll do it that'll do it yeah yes and you know this is back in the 80s so they've been doing this stuff for a while the cops oh yeah they sometimes 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 they like to have fun of their own at our expense kind of but they're not all that bad oh, we, yeah, absolutely. We I'm, not, I'm not saying they're bad i'm just saying they like to have their fun they do, they do, and uh, we 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 learn. But uh, but anyway, what what are you up to now? Uh, well, since you're not in, in in the radio, what kind of profession are you in right now during the day? Um, well, I'm currently working as a social media manager. Um, uh, that's that's my that's like my main uh, day job that I do now. Um, I work for a company called uh, HVMA. Uh, what we do is we basically run, we basically do like social media uh, for certain clients. We like manage their accounts. We help them, you know, get leads and use their online and try, they try to we try to convert their online audience into customers that will buy whatever product they're selling. And we do it through unique uh different ways. Uh that's what I other do. Uh my other job is um I'm also a uh, talent manager um for uh Buff Bagwell. Buff and I are working together now. So this is what's going You mentioned you mentioned his name in one of I think the most recent podcast. Uh, I think it was the Yeah Come On show you mentioned his name. Yes, I did. Um, we um, we were talking about him because they were they, I'm sure they had questions about the podcast Buff and I did together. But sadly, we didn't get to it at the time, but hopefully we will. But yeah, Buff Bagwell was uh, is um, I'm currently uh, his like agent. So we're kind of like working together on shows and gigs and stuff like that. So uh, we I met him in 2014 um, and we were doing uh, I was interviewing him because. A buddy of mine ran this place called the Cycle Nation in McDonough, Georgia, and there was an indie wrestling show that Buff was on the card. He was going to wrestle, and I hadn't seen Buff 
wrestling anywhere since 2001 when during that brief moment he was in WWE. So I was excited to see him because I was a huge fan of Buff Bagwell. He's one of my favorites growing up. So I called my buddy. I said, can you get me an interview with Buff? He said, well, I can't, but I can get you the promoter's number. So I sat on the phone with the promoter for about an hour trying to convince him to let me interview Buff Bagwell because at the time he didn't trust podcasters or radio people because a lot of radio people tend to disrespect wrestling when they interview wrestling. Like I like to throw the word fake around, which is the worst thing you can say to a wrestler. They're just not, they're just for wrestlers. They tend to not like podcasts and radio people. So I had to convince him that while I am critical of wrestling, when I watch it, if it's good, it's good. If it sucks, I'll tell you it sucks, but I'm very respectful of the business overall. I have a very deep love for wrestling and deep respect for the business and how it's operated. So once I convinced him, he gave me buffs number. I interviewed him on my show. And then I was invited by the promoter to come see the show. So I go to the show. I meet Buff. I meet the promoter. Uh, the promoter later um, uh, was t- uh, we were hanging out talking about potentially doing business. And then uh, something happened, and I didn't hear from the guy for like three years. Then three years later, he called me out of the blue and said, hey, I just got to deal with Fight TV. I need a wrestling commentator. Uh, I-, I, love- I would love if you would come do commentary for us. I said, hell yeah. So – I started do so for a couple of years. I was working with this company, uh, doing um, uh, wrestling commentary, and uh, Buff was on a lot of those shows. So Buff and I started to meet each other. We started hanging out more, and then his manager at the time convinced me to do a podcast with him. And we had a podcast for a couple of months called the Buff and Boochcast, and we, <laughs> and we interviewed a lot of big names in wrestling. We've been because he had a contact list a mile long because he's friends with so many people in the business. So we had like Sting, Lex Luger, Scott Steiner, Diamond Dallas Page, Mark Marrow, a bunch of big names, Road Warrior Animal before he passed away. We had him on the show. So we got to interview a bunch of people. Then Buff's schedule got out of whack, and he decided he didn't want to do the podcast anymore. And so we kind of parted on good terms. There was no issues. Just we kind of lost touch for about a year, and then – I was helping him move recently into a new house that he was living in. He needed some help moving. So he called me up. I went over there and helped him move. And while I was helping him move, he said, uh, I had a falling out with my manager. I need a new one. And uh, right now you're about the only person I feel like I can trust. So I want to offer you the job. And I took it and I'm glad I did because not only have I made good money, but I've also had fun. I also have fun working with buff and it's a, it's a hell of a gig and a great experience. So, um, yeah, Buff and I became one hell of a great team. And it's doing like you love. You love wrestling. Yeah. And I've gotten to meet a lot of people in the business. I've got to uh, – I got to meet a lot of wrestlers that I like. I got to lead them out of wrestlers that I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> I've, and th- those have been fun. In fact, um, just recently, uh, back in September, we were at this uh, place called, uh, called the Big D Flea Market. And uh, I don't know how much how much wrestling do you follow? I, I was heavy into it uh, from 2000, 2004. I, I have a, a grown son, and I wish we had him on the podcast. He knows a lot more than I do. Okay. Well, there, there was a big event going on. It was called uh, Teddy Long's Holla Holla Fame Fan Experience. And basically, it was like Teddy Long was there. The Steiner brothers were there. Uh uh, this Johnny Swinger, um, you know, a lot of a lot of good indie guys were there. And a while back, there was a wrestler named Alan Funk, who um, worked, uh, who was uh, worked in WCW when Buff was there. 
Well, apparently, uh, Alan Funk said something on about was talking uh, uh, shit about Buff on his podcast, and Buff heard about it. So Buff got this new podcast that he's working on uh, called Rebuilding Buff. And while he was doing his show, he hears what Alan Funk had to say about him, and he just blasts him on this podcast, like just verbally rips him to shreds, and basically says he's gonna kick his ass. When he sees him, like Buff's talking the way Buff would normally talk when someone pisses him off. <laughs> um, and then so later on, we go to this flea market, and how it worked is there's like there's like this canopy area that we're in, and there's tables on one side and tables on the other side, and at the end of this row is a ring that is the worst looking wrestling ring I've ever seen in my lifetime. Like <laughs> it's the kind of ring you would put action figures in. That's how it looked. Like that bad of a ring like those toy ones you buy at target so anyway so and how it works is we you pull up to a table with your car and then when you get out whatever table's in front of you that's where you lay out your eight by tens your t-shirts your dvds whatever to sell your merch so <laughs> we pull up we're setting our merch table up all of a sudden i look across from where we're standing and all of a sudden car pulls up car door opens out walks alan funk and he now has a table right across from us. And I'm thinking, oh, fuck, this ain't going to be good. Because <laughs> I've heard the shit that Alan said. I heard the shit Buff said. I know shit's about to go off. I just don't know when. Three hours go by. They say nothing to each other for the whole three hours. They're just meeting fans, signing autographs. Eventually, everything calms down. Everybody goes to the ring to watch the matches. We're organizing everything, money, all that that we that you know from buying the merch and everything. And all of a sudden, Alan goes, "Hey, Marcus," because Buff's real name is Marcus. Um, he goes, "Hey, Marcus, before you leave, we got to have a talk." And Buff's a smart ass. He goes, "About what?" He's like, "You fucking know about what?" Oh, by the way, can I cuss on the show? Yeah, go for it. Cool. Just want to make sure. Uh, Absolutely. He's like, he's like, "Yeah, you fucking know what?" And he goes. I got nothing to say to you. And then all of a sudden, he's like, yeah, you said you're going to beat my fucking ass while I'm standing right here. And the thing is, Buff was in a car accident a while back. So he's not in any physical condition to get in a fight with anybody. So like, he has one, he's, he's on a crutch, but the crutch is in the car. He doesn't want the fans to see him with a crutch. So they're now arguing back and forth, and they're just like it, – it, and it's like, it's like watching school kids argue. Like, it's like that. Like, you know, so yeah, you called me a bitch. And Buff goes, you are a bitch. It's like, I'm not a bitch. You're a bitch. I'm like, what are we in grade school? So I'm watching this shit go back and forth. Now, the kicker is Alan sees me. Now, the co-host uh, that's, that's, that Buff is working with on Rebuilding Buff, apparently, we look so similar. Alan thought I was the co-host on the podcast. So he starts cussing at me. And like he looked up at me and he goes, so he looks at me and goes, how about you, little fat fuck? You got something to say to me? And I'm like, and again, I don't know why he's saying that. And I'm looking at him like, dude, I got nothing to say to you. I'm not even involved in this shit. And he goes, he's like, yeah, that's what I fucking thought. And I'm like, the hell's wrong with him? And he's sitting here going like, you know, so yeah, you talk tough on a podcast, but can't say nothing to my face. And I go, dude, I, I wasn't on the podcast. I'm not involved in this. I don't know why you're yelling at me. I didn't do nothing to you. And I'm just I, – I keep looking at him, but only because I want to make sure he's not going to get physical. As long as he sits there and talks shit, I don't care. 
because you know Buff's got thick skin. He can handle verbal shit all day long. But I, but I know that because of his injured leg, he can't fight right now. If he had two good legs, they could fight and see what happens. But because he's got one bad knee, I know he's in no condition to fight. So if a fight does start, I know I'm going to have to jump in knowing full well I can get my ass kicked to make sure Buff doesn't get hurt. You know, because A, he's my friend, and B, it's part of the job. So eventually they start going back and forth, and and now Alan looks at me again and goes, yeah, keep eyeballing me, you little fat fuck. And here's the thing. In all the years I've been in radio and comedy and everything else, this is not the first time I've been called a fat fuck in my life. And it probably won't be the last. So I don't really get mad when someone calls me fat fuck. So about the fifth time they've called me a fat fuck. So now I'm getting mad. Then he's like, yeah, yeah, keep talking shit on your podcast. And I fucking lost my shit. I had the ugliest meltdown in this flea market because I ended up saying two words that as soon as I said them, my brain immediately went, what the fuck are you doing? Because this guy is a jacked up motherfucker that could break me in half. But I just looked at him and said, look, motherfucker. And I went <laughs> off. I said, I'm not on the fucking podcast. I haven't said shit about you. I The other guy, he lives in Ohio. I gave him everything but his social security number. I threw this guy under the bus. I was so mad. I was like, I was like, it's not fucking me. And at this point, the whole flea market, Steve, is staring at me. The wrestlers looking at me. The parents with their kids are looking at me. Passersby are looking at me. People who are not even here for the wrestlers, just here to buy flea market shit. They're all... And they don't even know what happened between Buff and Allen. All they see is me just cussing this man out, knowing full well I could die. I'm just, but I am verbally just letting him have it. Just fuck you, motherfucker, all this shit. And then finally I walk away because I know if I stay, it's going to get worse. So as I'm walking away, the promoter comes up to me, not Teddy, but this other guy, Phil, who was running the whole thing, comes up to me and goes, he says, Vinny, you can't talk like that. There's kids here. And I go, Phil, I can be calm around kids, and I can watch my mouth if need be. But when a guy like that's getting in my face, what do you want me to do? You, you tell me. What do I do in that situation? And Phil's like, I know, I know. He's trying to calm me down. So as we're talking, all of a sudden, I'm trying to explain to him everything that happened. All of a sudden, I look over, and Alan Funk is now walking towards me. Oh, shit. Oh, shit is right. I'm like... Oh crap! What's about to happen? All I'm thinking, I even got my hand. I got like a, I got like my hand like cocked and ready in case there's gonna be a fight. I don't know what the fuck he's about to do. And as, as he gets closer to me, he puts his hands up to kind of let me know we're not gonna fight. So I, I, I loosen the grip and I, and he comes up to me, and very, and in the most humbling voice ever, he goes, he says, "All right, look, a friend of mine just showed me a picture of the co-host." And I now know it wasn't you. Uh, I was a dick. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I'm still mad at Buff, but I don't do that guilty by association crap. I wanted to be a man, look you in the eye and say, look, I am 150% in the wrong. I, I was wrong. You didn't do anything. I should have never yelled at you. I deserved the yell. I deserved everything you said to me. I just want to be a man. I'm extending my hand. Please accept my apology. And I was stunned. Yeah, because you're ready. You're ready to get your ass kicked. I thought that, yeah. So I'm sitting yeah. there going, 
I don't know what to do. So in that moment, I thought, okay, the promoter's right here. I don't want to fight. I'm not going to make a scene. And he's, I, I could look in his eyes. I could tell he meant it. Like you can look in someone's eyes and you can tell if they're really sorry or if they're bullshitting you. So either he deserves an Oscar or he was genuinely sorry. And I could tell he was genuinely sorry. So I shook his hand and I said this apology. I said, all right, we're good. And then we talked for a little bit and I explained to him, look, I'm just, I'm Buff's manager. I work for him. We're friends, but I don't control what's said on his podcast. I just set up the equipment and then I leave the room and let them talk. That's all I do. And we, he, then he told me a couple of things and we said, and I'm like, so are we cool? He goes, yeah, man, you and I are cool. I got no more heat with you. We're fine. Everything's good. Um, if Buff wants to apologize to me one day, he can. Otherwise, I'm not dealing with him. But you and I are cool. And then a few months later, they uh, Alan and Buff did eventually make peace because uh, last month, Buff's mom passed away, and Alan called him to uh, give his condolences, and they buried the hatchet on the phone. So, that so yeah, so that was my uh, <laughs> my altercation. Yeah, wow. Fuck. <laughs> Because you make me think about Paul Heyman when he used to get his ass kicked. He wasn't a fighter. Oh, yeah, he wasn't. No. <laughs> but I had to like – so I didn't know what the hell was going to happen. But the funny part is Alan Funk taped the altercation. So in the video, people see me cussing out Alan Funk. So now all, all the boys, all the wrestlers who've seen it now think I'm cool. So I literally like, <laughs> like we went to WrestleCade this past weekend. There are these two big name wrestlers, uh, Luke Gallus and Carl Anderson. They're they're big fans of the Booch. <laughs> After I cussed that out and fuck. Well, half of it is trash talking wrestling, you know. Half yeah. of it's just talking. But uh, but but talk. But I, I've seen beatings too. I remember seeing John Cena getting his leg bashed. Oh yeah, that was not pretty. Yeah. And, and you're right. They use their bodies to entertain you. And, and like these guys could fall on their neck and become paralyzed for life. Yeah, they happened to draws. It did? Yeah. Uh, he was a wrestler um, in, in WWE, and he had a match with D'Lo Brown. And D'Lo Brown was doing this uh, powerbomb finisher. And apparently there was an accident. Something went wrong, and draws landed wrong and became paralyzed. But uh, he, didn't hold any, he didn't hold a grudge towards D'Lo Brown because he knew it was an accident. And, and of course, D'Lo Brown did the thing you're supposed to do in that situation. He did eventually, uh, he did apologize to Draws backstage when they, you know, or met him at the hospital. He called to see if he was okay. And, you know, even though, you know, so Draws holds no ill will towards D'Lo because it was an accident. But yes, but that, 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 that can happen if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Well, now what condition is Draws? Does he have any function of his fingers or hands at all or anything? I, I think he's paralyzed from the neck down. He's a, an event? Yeah. He, That's yeah, he, terrible. Yeah, he's he's in a wheel. He's still in a wheelchair, um, but he but and he was interviewed recently on Dark Side of the Ring for one of the one of the segments he was involved. In, I think it was the Brawl for All. But he made it clear in the video that he knows it was an accident with D'Lo, and he holds no ill will towards him. So yeah, even Kurt Angle broke his neck at one time too. Yeah, uh, he he broke it in the Olympics and then later in WWE. Yeah, so it, it's a very it's not all fake. It's not the only no. the only thing about it that the only aspect of wrestling that's fake is the fact that there's a winner that is predetermined. That's it. Is yeah. They, there's they they decide who's gonna win, how that person's gonna win. Everything else is up to the guys when they go out to the ring. Like that is, and that like I said, it is it is very violent. People can get hurt doing it, and you know even the guys who are professionals they still get hurt doing it, but they know how to do it in a way to where. 
it doesn't hurt them quite as much as it would hurt like either one of us if we were to do what they did with no training. Yeah. You ever see the episode where uh, Joe Rogan talks about me, me, Brock, let's, 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 we, me want to fuck you up the ass. Yes. <laughs> yes, that is, that is hilarious. I love that. He's like, Brock smash. Yeah. He's doing, he's doing MMA now or he's, he retired. Uh, he's in WWE. He's back in WWE. Um, oh, really? I would. That's a scary guy, man. Oh, yeah. He's actually Um, we actually have a pay-per-view. Uh, there's actually a pay-per-view coming up on New Year's Day called Day One. It's here in Atlanta. And the main event is him versus Roman Reigns for the title. Oh, wow. I got to check that out because he's probably pushing 50 now, Brock. Oh, yeah. But he's still in incredible shape. He looks a lot different. He's got like uh, some kind of weird um, ponytail like thing going on. And he's got like, really. Yeah. And he's got like this. He's got like a goatee or something like he. Like, like he looks like, he looks like you would expect him to look when he, when you, when you hear about his life. Like he lives in Saskatchewan. He lives in Saskatchewan. He does a lot of deer hunting. He's a very private person. He has a lumberjack like look to him now, and somehow wow. he's able to pull it off. And also, he's the most popular with the fans that he's ever been, his whole career. Like really, yeah. Because oh, when he first came back, nobody liked him. He's just yeah, because he's he's the villain. Well, not just because he's the villain, but because uh, it was because of the fact that they felt that Brock didn't care about the business because he was a full time wrestler for two years and then he quit because he didn't like traveling on the road. So when oh. he eventually came back in 2012. Uh, he started working more of a part time schedule, so he would wrestle like certain big events and then he'd be sitting at home with the rest of the year. And at one point, they put the world title on, and he was sitting at home with the world title for like months. Which fans don't like. Um, no, so I, fans want to see you. Yeah, they want to see the champ. They want to see the champ. Yeah. Uh, so that so a lot of fans didn't like him at first, but now that he's come back, he's got this like new energy about him to where you can tell he loves what he's doing. They're letting him talk more, which they never used to let him do. And somehow, I don't know what acting classes he took. I don't know who was teaching him how to, I don't know if there's something he knew how to do all along and just chose not to do it, but he used to have Paul Heyman talk for him. Now he don't need Paul. He, he can talk on his own, which I, which he used to never be able to do that. So it's like, it's a whole new Brock Lesnar and you know, wrestling fans are loving it. He's evolved. Really very much. So kind of like, like Dolph Lundgren. He didn't talk back in the day. Now he's talking more and more. I see him in talk shows all the time. Oh yeah, I mean Creed two gave him gave him quite a resurgence. Absolutely, yeah. And who was that? Was other guy? I forgot his name. Maybe you might remember. He was a British guy. They called him the Gentleman William something. William Regal. Yeah, yeah. Whatever happened to him? Uh, he was a GM in NXT. He was a general manager in NXT for a while. Uh, now he's been off TV. I don't know where he is. Uh, he had a decent wrestling run, but um, he was uh. That guy went through so many gimmicks before they settled on the British thing, and it and he pulled it off so well. Like I loved, like William Regal was one of those guys you loved, but you knew he knew he was never going to be the world champion, but he was so entertaining to watch. Yeah, I saw him get his ass kicked a lot actually on WWE. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. Like it's weird. Like because he was the bad guy and the way he was portrayed, he got his ass kicked a lot, but he could really hold his own in a fight. He oh, had really? that, like that old British mentality. Like when when they let him be a babyface or a good guy, he could turn it on and just beat the shit out of, out of a lot of guys. Like, he he was he was no slouch. Oh, okay. I mean, I didn't uh, I uh, didn't see that, but uh, 
So he, he's laying low now, huh? Kind of. Yeah. And who would have someone told me that that Rakishi is the Rock's cousin? Yes, Rakishi. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, wow. there's one big Samoan family. Like uh, like right now, right now in the WWE, there's a uh, Roman Reigns and the Usos. They're all cousins of the Rock as well. Oh wow, the Johnson family. Damn, yeah. Yeah, like yeah, like uh... literally, there's been a lot of legendary names that are all part of this like big Samoan family. Like 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 the Rocks. Like like Yokozuna, even though he was portrayed as a Japanese wrestler, apparently he was Samoan. And really, yeah, which I didn't even know that. And then uh, Jimmy Snuka, he's also part of that family tree. Like they're oh wow, Rocky. Like, like of course, uh, Peter Maivia and Rocky Johnson, uh, the Rock's grandfather and father. So there's there's a lot of Samoans in the business. Like even one that got released recently, uh, Nia Jax, uh, she was in that family tree as well. Oh, now is that is that Hawaiian Samoan? I think so. I think it's yeah, it's okay. Hawaii. It's Hawaiian. Yeah. Okay. I, th- I I think he lives near not too far from me. I heard that he lives in Charlottesville. Uh, who the Rock, the Rock. I heard. The Rock, really? Yeah, I don't know if it's true or not, but he uh, lives there. Maybe he has a home. Maybe he has like a home out there for when he. Maybe one. Yeah, I, I heard. He, uh, then someone told me he has a home in Oregon too. So maybe he has two homes. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Well, celebrities like to have homes in different places. They like to like vacation or lay low from the public or whatever. Um, because I know right now I think he lives. I think most of the time he lives in California because of all the Hollywood work he's doing. Oh, he's doing a lot of movies right yeah. now. Yeah. And it was all that all talk about him and how him and v, Vin Diesel weren't getting along. Yeah, they had a they had a little bit of a competitive uh, ego thing going on, but I think they've 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 resolved it. I know Vin Diesel has been wanting The Rock to come back for Fast 10. Um because a lot of the heat that The Rock got was during the spin-off of when they did the Hobbs and Shaw thing oh, Okay. Because The Rock was such a big star Everyone was like, like when The Rock was in Fast Five, when, when he debuted in Fast Five, like they were excited because they're like, hey, we got The Rock. We're going to work with him. It's great. But everybody kept saying, hey, check out The Rock's new movie, Fast Five. And Vin Diesel's kind of like, what the fuck? The- Hello? I'm fucking Toretto. Like, this is Fast and Furious. It's, it's more my movie than it's The Rock's. I've been in this since day one. If anything, this is a you know, Vin Diesel, Paul Walker movie. <laughs> like, but the rock, yeah, it's part of the pro- he, he, he was very close. You're right. He was very close to Paul Walker. You're right. Yeah. So the rock, but yeah, so, so Vin Diesel kind of took offense to that, that they were, that everybody was creating like, this is the rocks new movie. And the rock is turned this into a box office success. And Vin Diesel's kind of sitting there going like, um, am I chopped liver all of a sudden? Like it pissed him off. And I think the rock, you know, and he, I don't think The Rock meant to have that happen, but that's what happened. And, you know, I guess one of those things where, like, I'm sorry, is it my fault that they're saying it's my movie? Like, that, I, I, they're, they're putting the spotlight on me. I didn't ask for it. So it well, actually, the Rock, is a very, the Rock is a very sensitive guy with a big heart. He really is. And I think Vin Diesel realized that, and that's when they were able to patch things up. But at the time, a lot of the fast guys... Uh, I know I, I know Tyrese didn't like him didn't like the rock either because they were just like feeling like the rock was taking the uh was trying to take the spotlight away from the franchise itself like they were he I don't think he was trying to it was just the image that came with him yeah yeah oh yeah he wasn't I'm just saying that's what they thought at yeah the time. I know and they felt threatened by him they did very much so cause yeah because he, he was just the big man on campus as far as action movies go he is and what is he six foot six six foot seven I think so yeah 
Big guy, yeah. Now tell me about uh, about your your comedies. Are you uh, you still you still pounding the stage? Uh, not as often as I did before, just with all the projects I got going on. But um, I'm planning to get back on stage in 2022, most definitely. Uh, I've been doing a lot of private gigs lately. Um, okay. Uh, mostly I've done like I've done a couple of corporate gigs, Christmas parties. I did a bachelor party back in March, which was kind of nice. cool. Yeah, there was uh they were they were planning this big weekend for their friend and uh, they wanted to end the night with comedy because they'd done this they did all the the strip club stuff the night before, so they thought let's do let's get the strip club stuff out of the way here and then then we'll end the night with comedy just chilling at the house. So and I brought a friend of mine who I was working on because uh, I recently was on this show called the Going Live Show, which is a sketch uh, comedy show. It's kind of like it's like Saturday Night Live meets In Living Color. And one of the people I was working with, this girl, her name is uh, Laura Mamoon. Uh, I brought her to open for me at the show because they wanted an hour and a half show and I only had an hour of material. So I, I called Laura. I said, you have 30 minutes? She goes, yeah. I go, you want to work a bachelor party? Yeah. I goes, cool. You can make 100 bucks. Come join me. So <laughs> Nice. Because I, I, I got 400 bucks total. So I gave her $100 for 30 minutes, kept my 300 for the hour, and you know we had a great night. Um, and she came in, and, and I picked Laura because she has like – the craziest personality of anyone I've ever met. Like the jokes she tells are so dark. You, you almost don't want to laugh, but you kind of do like, you can't tell if she's serious or if she's like kidding sometimes until, until you really get to know her and understand her sense of humor. So, and I love that about her. So I was like, she'd be perfect for this bachelor party. And she, she did not disappoint. Uh, Cause I literally, as I'm packing up the car and we're driving down, uh, she put a furry costume in the trunk of the car. And I said, what is this? She said, don't worry. You'll love it. I said, okay. So I put it in the trunk. We're driving down, and we had to go to this place called Tombsboro, Georgia, which is uh, as deep as deep south can get. Like, like, here's how deep it was. We pulled into a gas station. Uh, we had to get gas on the way, and this lady with this thick southern accent came up and goes, sorry, we're closed. I'm like, oh, God. And I said, okay, well, where can, is there any other place to get gas? He goes, yeah, there's a gas station about a mile over, uh, about a mile around the corner. You can't miss it. And we're like, okay. And as we're driving there, my first thought went, this is how, this is how horror movies start. This yes. is every horror movie I've ever seen. I'm like, I'm going to show up at this gas station and there's going to be a guy, there's either going to be a dude with a chainsaw, there's going to be a machete, there's going to be, a burned up guy with a razor with razor hands. I don't know what the hell's about to happen. So sure enough, we get to the gas station. Everything's fine. Pay the gas. And we pull into this car and I pull over and all of a sudden I see a trailer. And this is weird. Like this, because from what I was seeing, I thought it was going to be this big house, but I'm like, all these guys are in this trailer and I'm scared to go over there. And I did, and I did something that most people, if you don't, if you've never watched horror movies or don't know a lot about the South, you're gonna think what I did was very anti-chivalry, but really it was smart. And I turned to Laura and said, "Can you go knock on the door?" Because <laughs> oh god! Now most people are gonna be thinking, Vinny, why are you sending the woman to knock on the door? Here's why: because my mindset is, if this guy has a shotgun. He's less likely to shoot someone if a woman comes up to the door. In the South, they're less likely to shoot if it's a woman. If it's a random dude, that's happening. So I'm thinking she goes, 
she's less likely to get shot. So she knocks on the door. I'm standing in the back like a scared kid because I don't know what the fuck's about to happen. Guy opens the door. Everything was normal. He said, yeah, can I help you? I said, yeah, we're here for this bachelor party for this house. He goes, oh, you mean the house over there? I go, yeah. He goes, he goes, yeah, I don't feel bad. People, people make this wrong turn all the time. I said, all right, thank you. So we get to the house. We have the party. So Laura puts on the furry costume, walks in with the furry costume on. I introduce her. She goes up on stage. She starts playing stripper music, and she does a strip tease. But what made it funny was she stripped teasing the furry costume, but when she takes it off, she's fully clothed underneath the strip, the furry outfit, and then she goes right into her jokes. 30 minutes, nice. kills it. I'm almost thinking, fuck, I got to follow this. <laughs> and so oh, she introduces wow. me. I go up. I do an hour. Thank God I was able to – thank God I was able to follow it, and I killed it. But she, that, wow. that, it was one hell of a party. So that was like – That's impressive. Yeah, you had an hour worth of material. That's pretty good, man. Yeah. Uh, it was a lot of stuff that I wrote recently and then just stuff that I I accumulated over the years of doing stand-up. Like when I realized I had to do an hour, I pulled a lot of old jokes that I ain't told in years just to fill the time. I mean, I didn't see too many, uh, too much of your comedy, but I something stuck in my head. Uh, you're talking about how you don't drink much and you become the babysitter and yes. chicks don't dig. Yeah, I like that. That was pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah, and, and 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 there's a lot of truth to that because um I, I'm not because every time I've gone out with my friends like um like my friends who work with me on the Bootscast uh they're there's some heavy drinkers uh they like to drink and party all the time so I'm usually the guy that ends up driving them home that's so I'm like I'm like the designated driver because um I I I don't drink if I'm driving somewhere but if I'm staying at a friend's house and I'm gonna be there for the weekend I'm like I'll have I'll have a beer or two but I. My partying days stopped after the regular guys. That's that that those were the days where I was like drinking and partying only because, you know, fans and fans would offer me shots at regular guys' events. So I'm like, sure, no problem. <laughs> Not knowing I can't hold my liquor, but uh, Southside was always cool because near his bar was the Best Western Hotel, and he would always drop me off there, and he would always pay for a room and drop me off after I got drunk. So he would. He would make he would make a mess and then clean it up. In other words, all right. Yeah, it sounds like you don't need a uh, you don't need alcohol to be funny. I don't, uh, and I, I'm not saying to brag. I'm just saying it because I don't like I. I found that when I I found if I drink before I go on stage, it makes me less funny. I've learned that. Like I found that to, yeah myself. You know, having done open mics, I, I I've gone up smash too, and I'm not funny at all. So I, I can relate to that. Yeah, like but, some there are some people who drink. And they're funnier, and I and I give props to them. I don't judge at all. I just know it doesn't work for me. And I know because I've done it before at open mics where I've drank a few times because, you know, because when you're new to the scene and comedian offers you a beer, you take the beer. You know, you're trying to fit in with everybody. So I'd be, like, drinking and drinking. Then I go up on stage, and I can't remember shit. Yep, yep. I've even, I even smoked weed once before I went on stage, and that fucked me up, too. I was like, nope. That's when I learned. I got to be sober when I perform. After the show, whatever. That's the best way to do it, really. You're more in control of yeah. what you're saying. But um, now, um, where can um, you want to put it out there? Let, let folks know where they can find you in social media, Vinny. Absolutely. Uh, on Facebook, um, Vinny Bucci, in parentheses, it says the Booch, so it's easy to find. Um, on Twitter, I'm at Vince Bucci, V I N C E B U C C I. Uh, Instagram is at booch365, uh, cause that's the name of my, uh, 
of my uh, entertainment uh, company banner thing. I call it Boots 365. Um, and so I'm on Instagram at Boots 365. Uh, my YouTube channel is Vinny Bucci. And also, um, I have a podcast show called The Boochcast. It's on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube. Everything is The Boochcast. B-O-O-C-H-C-A-S-T. I'll be watching you. I appreciate it. I man. definitely will. No problem. And I'm going to post this on my social media. I got a whole bunch of different accounts under different names, and I'll be posting it too. Try to help put, put out the word about you. I, I, that means a lot, man. Thank you. No problem. I want and I want to thank you for staying up late and talk to me too. Absolutely, man. Uh, I'm very much a night owl, so uh, this was this was a good time. Yeah, no problem. And, and and you know, you ever want to come back on in the future and tell us what you're doing? Um, I don't think I'm going to stop doing this. I love doing this shit. I I do too, man. Like podcasting is uh, it, it's really really cool. It's a, it, it's something that really helps. I found that it helps me out as an entertainer. Like it's like the downtime between like, you know, comedy shows and stuff. If I don't have if my schedule's too hectic, I don't have time to go on open mics. I can just use the Boochcast to like talk, share thoughts, have conversations and, you know, show a different outlet to what I can do. I'm enjoying this a lot more than stand up comedy personally. Yeah. And that's the thing. Sometimes you do, you know, because it's like there's a lot more creativity with it. You know, you can do different things that you can't do on a stage. And there's things you can do on a stage you can't do here. So it's uh well think as a comedian, different. most of the time you're sitting around waiting for your five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it can feel that way. It's, yeah, so here you could talk as much as you want, even if you just do a solo podcast. Exactly. Yeah, and I've I've done and Lord knows I've done a lot of those. Nothing wrong with that either. No, it isn't, man. So anyway, without without any uh, further ado, I will email you want me to email you the link? Sure, man. Absolutely. All right, man. Get so well. Get some rest and uh, take care. All right. You too, buddy. Thank you very much. I right, think. Sure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.